0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.
1: Good morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, March 24th. We'll look at the race to fill Secretary of State Shirley Weber's assembly seat, but first, let's do the headlines. The suspect DUI driver, accused of crashing into a downtown San Diego sidewalk, killing three people and injuring others, pleaded not guilty on Tuesday. 71-year-old Craig Martin Voss appeared in court by video from county jail. Police say on March 15th, his station wagon veered onto the sidewalk and into a homeless encampment beneath the B Street overpass near San Diego City College. Voss is facing charges of gross vehicular manslaughter and DUI. Bail is set at one million dollars, but will be up for review next Tuesday. The San Diego Unified School District Superintendent Cindy Martin begins her Senate confirmation hearing today to fill the role of Deputy Secretary of Education. Martin was tapped by President Joe Biden back in January. If she's confirmed, Superintendent Lamont Jackson of Area 2 has been selected by the SD Unified Board to fill in as interim superintendent through at least the rest of the year. It'll be sunny skies today and some gusty winds in the mountains and desert. A storm system is expected to come in overnight and bring rain by tomorrow morning, and it'll stay on through Friday evening. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. The state assembly seat representing the 79th Assembly District, which runs from Otai Ranch all the way to La Mesa, is now vacant after Dr. Shirley Weber was confirmed as the new secretary of state. KPBS reporter Max Ravlin-Nadler looks at the race to replace her where early voting has already begun.
2: The special election comes at a pivotal time for the heavily Democratic 79th District, when federal COVID recovery money will now flow through the state to communities that desperately need it. Akila Weber is a doctor, La Mesa City Council member, and daughter of the woman she's now running to replace. She says she'll be up to the task of making sure these funds help a community that's hurting, because she's already working in government.
3: One of the things that um, is, is beneficial about being an elected official at this time is that I have already the relationships with the elected officials that actually govern these individual areas and these individual cities.
2: National City resident Leticia Munguia is a lifelong organizer in San Diego and has worked on behalf of a public employees union for the past 16 years. She thinks relationships at the community level will prove valuable to distributing much-needed resources immediately. When I look at the short-term impact to small businesses, my, my approach is going to be being able to
3: leverage public, federal, state resources to make sure
2: that we provide immediate injection of relief to our small businesses where there's an opportunity to have them reopen their doors, that we're there to support them. Arameek Glass-Blake is a criminal justice reform advocate whose previous run for public office was derailed by a cancer diagnosis. She wants to make sure that communities know how beneficial policies in both Washington and Sacramento are impacting them and that they feel those impacts.
3: These communities never actually feel the policy changes. They never actually see the results of what was created for them to change and make their lives better.
2: Two other candidates, middle school teacher Shane Parmelee and Republican Marco Contreras, are also running for the seat. Early voting began on March 8th with the primary election concluding on April 6th. If no candidate wins a majority of votes, a runoff will be held on June 8th. Either way, the Assembly member will have missed the bulk of an important legislative session and will need to get up to speed quickly. That's where Manguia believes she has an advantage, as already a veteran of what goes into dealmaking in Sacramento.
3: I really feel that I'm prepared. I'm experienced, and I've been a champion for workers.
2: Weber says her immediate focus would be on helping improve public health through tackling long-standing social problems like school funding,
3: making sure that resources and funds are equitably distributed, and money is able to be given to those who need more, so that schools, whatever school your child goes to, regardless of your zip code, that every child has an equal opportunity. To create a healthy future.
2: While both Weber and Mangia have picked up coveted endorsements and financial support from local political leaders and labor organizations, Glass Blake feels like her political outsider status will allow her to more directly serve the community. I want to bypass
3: all the politics within politics because many times we, again, don't get that sustainable change because our politicians are bought and paid for and they're bossed.
2: Former Assemblymember Dr. Shirley Weber passed a series of police reform bills, which won her accolades from across the country. Each candidate says they'll continue her work in their own way. For Dr. Akila Weber, the protests from over the spring and the riot in her hometown of La Mesa reminded her that social justice issues in the district must be continually listened to and addressed at the state level.
3: What we saw in May and June, it was not due to a single incident. It was due to years of people not being heard. It was due to years of people feeling marginalized and treated differently.
2: Three of the four Democratic candidates will participate in a forum on Wednesday evening focusing on gun violence in the district, organized by San Diegans for Gun Violence Prevention. The forum begins at 6 p.m.
1: And that was KPBS's Max Revlin-Nadler. Millions of California workers can now take more paid sick time for issues related to the pandemic. That's under a bill recently signed by Governor Gavin Newsom. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. The new law requires companies with 25 or more employees to give their workers up to two weeks of supplemental paid sick leave. Employees can use that time to quarantine, schedule a vaccine, care for a sick family member, or take care of a child whose school or daycare is closed. Workers' unions applauded the measure, but business groups and many Republicans argued that it's too onerous for already struggling businesses. Democratic State Senator Dave Minn of Irvine says he's sympathetic to those businesses, but...
2: On the other hand, it is good policy. We don't want sick workers coming into work or facing that tough decision between missing a paycheck or or losing their jobs.
1: Companies will be reimbursed through a federal payroll tax credit. The measure is also retroactive, so companies may need to pay workers for sick time already taken this year. And that was Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon. San Diego County and Mexico are working together to open a new vaccination site downtown at the Mexican Consulate Building. KPBS's Eric Anderson reports.
4: The county and Mexican officials are building on the success of a COVID-19 testing program that they began last September at the consulate in downtown San Diego. That partnership offered no-cost testing for the coronavirus. Carlos Gonzalez Gutierrez is the consul general of Mexico in San Diego. He says the effort now offers a safe and accessible vaccination location for San Diego's Mexican and Latino communities.
5: We are proud of this partnership because it helps reinforce the message that our community can access public health services regardless of their immigration status or their nationality.
4: The consulate will follow county eligibility guidelines, meaning people will need an appointment to get a shot.
1: And that was KPBS's Eric Anderson. A Los Angeles man is able to walk and breathe on his own again after a months-long fight with COVID-19 at a San Diego hospital. KPBS's Matt Hoffman says now the 32-year-old is able to go home and see his 11-year-old daughter again.
4: Eduardo Moreno was released from Scripps Memorial Hospital after an eight-month hospital battle with COVID-19.
6: We're going home. Thank God.
4: Moreno's lungs are still recovering, and while he didn't want to speak today, his mother, Cecilia Amador, says his recovery has been an emotional roller coaster.
6: We didn't, we didn't have any visitors, so it was very hard for me to be home and um, make videos with him. We were praying, and the first thing I want to say is thank God.
4: Her son first came to the hospital last July.
6: He was very critical, and they told us that he wasn't going to make it. And so from there on, He went to coma for three months.
4: Scripps Health doctor David Scott McCall was caring for Moreno during his stay and says the virus caused advanced respiratory failure.
2: We decided to go for extracorporeal life support, which is a manner of taking your blood and going through a machine so as to take over his lung function.
4: There were multiple surgeries, and for months Moreno was entirely dependent on machines. His lungs did not heal enough to start breathing on his own until January.
2: He went through any number of challenges to get to that level of independence, to deal with the anxiety, the pain, and to fight through. And because of that, he's a model
0: for all of us.
6: Being a mom, I was just crying and home and saying, you know, I want him home. And Dr. McCall, don't worry, he is going to make it home.
0: Doctors
4: say nurses, therapists, and other ICU staff became like his extended family.
2: It's quite a thing to see. And you know, without them, not possible.
5: He wanted to live. That's what he told me.
4: Moreno's mother says she was shocked and amazed to hear that her son was being released this week. She's grateful to everyone who helped him get back to 100% despite the odds being stacked against them.
1: And that was KPBS's Matt Hoffman. Coming up, a healthcare leader in San Diego's South Bay is being honored for her work during the pandemic. We'll have more on that story next, just after the break. The COVID-19 pandemic has created a number of unsung heroes, from the person who delivers groceries to your door, to the mail carriers and sanitation workers who work every day to keep the wheels of society turning, and of course, first and foremost, Healthcare workers, especially those in the hardest hit areas of our country. A healthcare leader from the South Bay is now receiving recognition for her work. Ana Melgoza is the vice president of external affairs for San Isidro Health, and she's dealt with some of the worst of the pandemic. Now she's among three women honored by the Mana de San Diego organization during Women's History Month. She spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. Here's that interview.
6: And Anna, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. But I don't really feel like this is an award solely for me. It really is an honor of all of our frontline workers that have been dedicated this entire year to not only taking care of the lives of their close ones, but really the lives of our communities that have been hardest hit by this terrible, terrible disease.
5: So when the number of COVID cases started to rise at San Isidro Health, how did your organization respond?
6: We responded right away. I still remember vividly. Uh, we call it Friday the 13th, March 13th, when we, as everyone else, got the call to action, which was to shut down, to pivot and to start, more than anything, stopping the spread. No one knew what was going on. All we knew was there was this mysterious virus Um, that was coming and causing a lot of just illness and catastrophic illness at times. And so we as an executive team came in on Sunday right after, and we had a look at what we were going to do with our operations. So we had to stop and put a pause on our dental care and pivot right away to telehealth. And since then, we've been very busy working through our telehealth line but also opening back up for in-clinic visits. And as a result, uh, we've seen an increase in in treatment. However, what we have done is offered a lot of support, uh, not just in healthcare marine, but we also converted some of our clinic sites into food distribution sites because we saw firsthand what it means not to have food on your table for your children. Uh, not to be able to make a rent payment, uh, not to be able to even provide uh, basic necessities such as food and clothes for uh, children. And so we just continued to rise to the challenge and help as many families as we could.
5: Tell us about the choices that some of your patients had to make between feeding the family or risking infection.
6: So, what we found is in many of the families where we operate, where we serve, we were working really with the essential workforce. So many days we were speak to our doctors in the clinics and they were still treating uh, people who were riding the trolleys to go to work because as they spoke to their patients, especially many who are high risk of, of dying really of infection, they said, well, if I don't work, I can't provide food for my children. And so they took that daily risk of working as grocery workers, janitorial health care, many who weren't able to work from home. And what happened was many of our families also live in multi-generational, overcrowded housing because the working families that we uh, have as our patients are cost burdened with the cost of housing here in San Diego. And so when they had to decide if they were going to either be homeless or be hungry, many of them chose to be hungry to be able to live and provide not just for their children, but we're working with many Latinas of the sandwich generation, those that are caring not just for children, but also their parents. And so these are seniors that also have had to need the care that we provide as well through our program for all-inclusive care for the elderly. So for us, we felt we had so much to really work for throughout this pandemic, not just the immediate prevention of catching COVID, but for those families that were infected with it, how are we able to provide the care for the seniors, the infected person, and also the children?
5: What are you anticipating in terms of longer-term needs of the community in recovering from this pandemic?
6: There's going to be a great need for a lot of mental health services. We have been working closely with their school districts and they've informed us that they're working with children that have lost grandparents because of this pandemic and parents too. And there hasn't been any kind of intervention there to help the children. Right now, when we hear about what the biggest need is for children, so far what we know is definitely educational needs. What we found is many of the families we're already experiencing the digital divide and many were having a really hard time accessing internet but if you dig deep what we have found more than anything is the need for mental health and the need to be able to grieve like a child and to be able to understand what it means to go hungry and to really work with this generation of children that have been hit the hardest by this pandemic because They're going to deal with scars that are going to last them for a long time to understand why they were without resources while they were watching television and saw their children with resources. How do you reconcile that? And so we have a lot of children living with trauma from this experience and seeing many external factors impact their lives that they couldn't control.
5: Do you see anything positive coming out of this long, terrible experience for San Ysidro Health and the community?
6: Absolutely. I am just amazed by our providers of care. I am so inspired by our doctors, our nurses, our behavioral health specialists, our therapists, our dentists. They courageously went into work every single day to rise to the challenge. Right now, And seeing now vaccination efforts take place, I I recall going into our alcohol uh, new clinic that we were able to uh, have ready to go by the end of last year. And I encountered a patient, an elderly patient, who said that the only reason she came into the clinic was because during her telehealth visit for her chronic illness, the doctor told her, I can't go to sleep at night knowing that you haven't been vaccinated. And she said, I have not gone out for anything, but I love my doctor. I trust my doctor. And so I called my daughter to come and get me out of the house, come get my first dose, and I'll be back for my second. But I do not like being out of my house.
5: Tell us about this, Ana, from Mana de San Diego organization. What does it mean to you?
6: Mana de San Diego is extremely important right now, more than ever. Right now, Latinas face historic inequities. Wages have gone down. Uh, right now, 42 cents for every dollar a white male makes is what Latinas bring home, as well as their life expectancy has gone down 1.9 years because of this pandemic. We need to intervene. And through Mana de San Diego, we're preparing that next generation of leaders to break this cycle of poverty and to turn these trends upward. We encourage all young girls to run for office, to be at the policy making table, and to work hard to get these trends upward.
1: And that was Anna Melgoza, Vice President of External Affairs for San Isidro Health, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host, Maureen Kavanaugh.